Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Kim Crumbly. And I'm Laura Rankhorn. And together we are Counselor Accents. And Laura, you know I love this guy. You know I love this guy. I told you he is awesome. We heard him. Uh, Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt. My name's Matt Eldridge. Uh, gosh, I'll tell you a little background. I, gr I grew up in uh, rural middle Tennessee. I still live there. I live in the same county I grew up in. I've moved around. Uh, I was raised, I'll say pretty common, had great parents. They, my father worked at a factory and supported us and they made sure we had before they had, but we were probably, down on the poverty level. Say we weren't in severe poverty, we weren't middle class, let me say that. But they did wonderful for us and pushed education on us. And education was probably our way out, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I'd never been out of the state of Tennessee growing up. I've got a twin brother and an older brother. Never been out of the state of Tennessee. We'd never sit down in a restaurant and ate. We just didn't do that. We had a little farm, some chickens and cows, and you know, we, we raised and ate what we had, and, and we knew you didn't ask if you couldn't afford, but my parents taught us great values and did very well by us and provided wonderfully for us. I couldn't ask for a better life than I had growing up. But anyway, they pushed education on us and uh, my way out was through athletics. And I received a football scholarship and uh, played college football, got my BS degree. And my twin brother received a basketball scholarship, got his BS degree. And, uh, swore I'd never go back to college again. I'm tired and I, I wanted to coach high school football. Now that's not, not the reason to get an education. Let me go ahead and do the disclaimer right here. That's not the reason, but that's what I got into for the love of athletics because it was a love of my life at that point. And uh, I started coaching, went back, got married. Me and my wife this year will be celebrate our 30th anniversary. And uh, back, we went back got my master's and my EDS and wound up getting into administration. Well, I guess at that point, and somewhere in the 80s, you know, and I, I'm not saying the colleges don't tell you the truth, but maybe they're out of touch, but they told us this in college. Matt, if you'll go in and you'll have your lesson plan and you're prepared, you'll never have any discipline issues. Now, that's not exactly the way it works these days. But now, I never had a lot of issues. But when I went in, it was a shock because I grew up, you do what they tell you to do when they tell you to do it, or you're in trouble. Not exactly what we all live in, and ladies, I know you know that. But anyway, so it was more of discipline at that point, forced compliance. They will comply, or you will force them through after school, through corporal punishment, through something. That's what you do, and that's that's what I knew because that's what at that time the principals and things told you if they don't, if they don't obey you, you're going to paddle and that's it. But anyway, the, let me tell you the epiphany of my life, year five, I'm teaching seventh grade math. Now I was coaching high school football, but the, the building seventh through 12th was under the same roof. And uh, I come in that morning, 9 a.m., nine o'clock, to 9.55 was seventh grade math, second period. I still remember that, and that's 30-some-odd years later. 
I come in, second row over first seat, Kevin's sitting there. And I said, hey, guys, hand your homework up. Kevin raised that hand and said, coach, I don't have my homework. What do you mean you don't have your homework? I didn't do it. What do you mean you didn't do it? Well, I just, coach, I didn't want to do it. And I said, well, I'm going to have to give you paddling. At that time, and I'm not, I'm not supporting corporal punishment, but that was a different day and time, yeah. 1990. But that's the rule. You paddled. If they didn't do it, force compliance. But anyway, but you're not going to paddle me. What do you mean I'm not going to paddle you? Well, just like I said, you're not going to paddle me. And I'm telling you, boy, and I'm yelling, getting mad. Listen, ladies, I know I don't have a lot right now at that time. Boy, about 1990, I had that good little handlebar mustache, little mullet working, you know, blonde mullet, still fresh out of college. Hey, and I was so mad. I'd get so mad, sweat. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so anyway, I said, well, if you're not going, I'm going to take the assistant principal's office. Out the hall, about 50 feet we go, and I'm giving him the business the whole way. Boy, you're so you're never going to amount to nothing. You didn't do your homework. And we're talking four or five problems. It's not a lot of math. So we get down there and we get to Mr. Silcock's office. Coach, what are we doing? I said, well, he didn't do his homework. Kevin, why didn't do your homework? Sir, I did. He just wouldn't take mine. He doesn't like me. He pulls it out of his back pocket and hands it. Oh, my God. I'm so mad. And I am screaming. He's a liar. He's a liar, Mr. Silcock. And I'm furious. And Mr. Silcox, Kevin, we know you're lying, bending you over and giving three licks, and we're going back all the way back. I'm chewing him and fussing him, telling him how he's sorry. He's a liar. So we get there, and I stop outside the door, probably give him a little bit more of the business. We go in and sit down, and there's five, ten minutes of class left. Well, I dismiss class, and we go, oh, let's go fast forward two, three weeks ahead. Same thing happens. Same repeat. We get down there. I'm mad. I'm yelling. Coach Silcox, Mr. Silcox, assistant principal, pals him, sends him on. said, Coach, let me ask you something. He's talking about me. Coach, let me ask you a question. Stay with me. I said, yes, sir. Why do you get so mad? I said, because he's lying. He's lying to me. And he said, I know that. And he's, I'm going to tell you a secret they're all going to mislead just a little bit of the truth. Did you know that? Well, yeah, but he said, but why do you get so mad? He said, well, let me ask you this one. What's the rest of your day like? I said, oh, my God, it's horrible. Because you expend so much energy of anger, it, it ruins your day. He said, let me give you a little hint. Don't, don't get angry anymore. How? Just trust me. Just try it. So we'll fast forward another month. We're somewhere in late September, October, about bow season, deer hunting. And it happens again. And all I wanted to grab him and he lied, you know, you just want to shake him. So I said, uh, Kevin, we'll go, all right, I hate you didn't do it, son. Are you sure? Yes, sir, I didn't do it. So we walk out and I've talked to him nice the whole way. I don't chew him. I don't spend time with him. And we go down there, Mr. Wilcox, same process. Here it is. He doesn't like me, Mr. Wilcox. He's lying you and uh he paddles him we go back and i talked to him i said kevin you going deer hunting i didn't talk to him about anything bad asked him if he's going deer hunting and all he looks at me like who is this guy because i'm not the same person well it never happened again and i thought oh my gosh that's too easy that's too easy and probably what i and ladies probably what i didn't understand at the time 
and it's funny. Now I tell funny stories on me all the time and hopefully somebody can learn from them is that Kevin had all that planned. Kevin was the hero. See, he was playing the music and I was dancing for him. And what I'd found out, he was going into class going, watch me get shot out of class today. Because at the time he would say that and I would march him down the hallway and fussed him and paddle him and tell him how bad he was. We didn't have time for class. And I know that's silly and that's simple, but he liked me. Kevin liked me, but he, he liked math less. So he was wanting to get out of math and he could do that. And that was, I guess, the epiphany of my life. I thought, oh my gosh, it's not through forced compliance. You win. And I, that, I guess, changed me. And I started realizing from that point in the way I could coach football was different because my wife always has asked me for the years and we've been very successful in football and some state championships and all, but she would say, why do those kids love you? They come back to you years later and, and talk about how you, they love you and said, you you're so mean. Okay. And my wife said, why do those boys that love you? Why do they like you? They come back and say, Hey, you change. And I said, because they know I love them. And exactly. And at that point you realize it's not exactly what you say to the kids, it's how you say it to them. Because I know some of the big impacts of my life, besides my family, was the people I knew cared about me. Well, that's the same way when we talk poverty or the Eric Jensen talks about it. When you make that big uh, point in their life, you make a, point, uh, a mark forever with them. Well, that's, right. how, I, that's how I've realized de-escalation and I go talk that so much. I, and I teach restraint training. That's what I go teach about. I really teach how to not use restraint training. Believe that or not, that's what I do. Because if you do the other things, likely you'll never have to touch a child. And I don't want anybody to put their hands on. But there's an easier way for us, for them, for everybody. And I, I always approach it, how would you want your child treated? You know, if it was my child having a bad day, you want an extra pat on the back, pay a little extra attention. And I guess that's kind of where it started is I thought, wow, that was too easy. If I was just calm with Kevin, used a good voice and it's happened more than him, but that was the first epiphany in my life when I thought, Oh my gosh, I didn't get mad today. I didn't sweat. That mullet of mine wasn't sweating and you know, all. but it was wonderful. But that was, that's the point that I thought, Oh gosh, it, everything's not forced compliance. Everything's not, you know, you don't, use a hammer on everything, but it works. You are speaking our language. This is you. It's like, I don't know. It's like we read your book or something, or you read ours. I don't know. We, well, uh, part of the other, I think is we wind up and I, I, this is what I go teach and tell. We don't pick our battles wisely as educators. A lot of times. You know, on our first day of inserts, I always, we, we have a small district I'm over. And I always get them, and I said, guys, do this. If you think you're about to do something that would make great news, please don't do it. Because, and I know, see, that's funny because y'all get it. Y'all get that. Because we pick battles over, you didn't do two, three homework problems. Well, you know, if I grow up and I have no heat or I've not had anything to eat or, you know, that's not the most important in my life. You know, that's not the most important thing. And I'm trying to 
finish. I've, I've been writing a little book for a while, and I'm so busy I don't get it. But I'm trying to finish mine, Maslow before Marzano. My wife's a big Marzano fan, you know, and that he's great points. But I always say, if you don't meet those basic needs, it doesn't matter all the skills you're wanting to teach them. They're not going to get it. If they can't come in where they feel fed and loved and nurtured, and uh, you can take the first 15 minutes of class and get things going right, or you can spend the whole hour and never get anything taught. But yeah, that's easy. And, and it seems so clear now, doesn't it, to all of us? But of course, I, I lived a few years the wrong way with it. You know, I was, I wanted, I did everything by force for a little while. Well, and it's exhausting <laughs> because there are still people that live that way. Oh, yes. And you know, I, I'm 55 years old and uh, it's some of the older, I'll say my age, that when they started out, when they said it, the child did it. Yeah. And, and you can still get the same results for them to do it, but you don't have to win it by force all the time. And I'm going to tell you, uh, there's younger ones that's had parents and ever ex-teachers tell them how you do it. Well, it's not that way any longer. And there's, there is kind of a, uh, there's kind of a, class missing in college that they don't understand some of this. Now you all do as counselors, but no, the football coaches, the teachers, the ag, we don't get that class. Y'all get it. They leave it out of ours. Yeah. I was talking to an educator and we were talking about some of these principles and um, I was trying to explain the de-escalation instead of just the force compliance. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, she said, back in my day, we just paddled. She said, and that worked. She said, and I think it would work now. I said, well, the difference is you were coming from a loving home. You got the love at home. So the discipline could happen because you already had that foundation of love. But now our kids are coming to us and the, the teacher has to show that love and the discipline, the balance. And, um, but love first, and then the students will do most of the time. I know there are exceptions. And I know y'all see this, but years ago when I was in school, you guys were in school, uh, you were taught the basic emotions. For, you were taught the skills of sharing and all those things at home. We get a lot of kids right now that's not. And you probably right. know that. I mean, y'all, the Eric Jensen books talking about the six basic emotion people are hardwired with, which is anger and, you know, all those, and, and four of the six are negatives. Well, the same thing, we have to teach kids how to share. They don't come to school knowing that all the time right now. They don't know humility. They don't know any of that. They, they want what they want. It's like a, it's like a baby's what it is. And you have to teach that. And years ago, it doesn't. And that goes back to, like you said, well, years ago, a lot of paddling work. And sometimes it may work today, but not, it, it's just not the same day and age. I'll say that. No. I've seen this change happening <clears throat> when I look back over even the last say eight years and we now fast forward eight years and these students that we would call outliers yep. well it was you know that was my aha moment when I realized and it was my SRO officer who took me down to the lunchroom and we had, and he just, he said, I want you to look around. 
it was the same school. I, I was at a high school that I was the counselor that I went to. You know, that's the high school I'd went to. And I guess I was, you know, I, I really had, I had to have him show me. And when I saw it, I had that aha moment. Things are not the same anymore. And, and it's not the, out, the outliers are the few that grew up like I did. Those are the outliers. And so it's almost like we're fighting a battle that has become too, we're, there's not enough of us to fight this battle. And Laura knows we have mental health therapists. We've had them in the past in our schools, but it's getting to the point, Matt, it's too overwhelming. There's too many children who need that mental health. And we've seen this explosion, I think in the last couple of years even, that our mental health therapists are overwhelmed in our schools so that it's not effective anymore. There's too many. So what are your thoughts on what do we do when the numbers of students who are having mental health issues and, and um, discipline issues, behavior issues, all those tied in together, what do we do? Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, one of the things I talk to the, my faculty about, my staff, I say, you're probably the only, you may be the only person in that child's life that gives them a kind word. And I said, so you've got 180 days to say something good to a child that could change their life. And I'm, I'm going to use me, you know, if I'm walking down there and somebody says, hey, you feel good. What, you know, that makes you feel good. Hey, you look good. Hey, I like those shoes you have on. Well, that's the same way with a child. If you say something that, singles them out in a positive way that makes them walk just a little taller that day and feel a little bit better about yourself. And I, and that doesn't take very much for you to say, oh boy, that's as, that's as good a drawing as I've seen. I've never seen one. And they, they walk a little taller and feel a little bit better about yourself. And, and you guys know this more than me, but you know, I'm going to say in the poverty home and I'm not trying to put everything in poverty, mind you, but you know, a lot of those people in those homes, those children will get one kind comment or a positive remark to every six. I think the stats say six negatives. Now, if all you heard was six negatives to every positive, you're not going to believe in yourself very much. And then they go to the more affluent homes. It's almost reversed. They're going to hear five or six positive remarks. You can do it. We know you can do it to that one negative. And, you know, I'm going to say this. I didn't hear all of this. I didn't hear all the negatives. We, we were told we could do anything we wanted to. But, you know, growing up, I'm going to say over here on the fringe of Appalachia, America, the thing is you don't risk failure. You hear, I've heard kids still do this today, their parents, they won't let you do it because you're not anybody special. Don't try. So when we tell them that, they hear that from home, and we don't believe that. But when they hear it from mom and dad, they believe it. Right. And we're having to not only fight their culture, we're having to fight maybe a job for the parents and everything. So we're fighting an uphill battle, just like you say. Now, going into that, we, we spoke this year at the National Youth at Risk. I still talk de-escalation. But I said, and here's part, I guess, to answer that, how do you uh, approach those children? I said, to de-escalate any of them, I think there's three things that we have to do that determine whether we can de-escalate. And I said, one of them is your personality. I said, you have, every child in the school knows if you're uh, a good person, if you're a kind person, if you're an old grump tail, they know it. Every kid knows this. The second, I 
have to be very consistent. We're not allowed to have a bad day in education. Y'all know that they expect us to come in happy and we're here at our job. That's what they expect. And third, our rapport with that student. I think that's the three things. Now, there's more things factoring. That's the three large ones to me that determine if you can talk to a child, you can de-escalate it. And it's almost, we have to go in able to de-escalate someone before the situation arises now, because as you said, we're going to face more and more of these things. And I think if we start back to school, you think how many parents have lost jobs through all this? They're going to come back and maybe we're able to eat lunch and then buy something else after. They might not be buying things like that. I mean, and I know the feeling I grew up, you know, if you did, you know, you didn't stop and get ice cream kind of, you didn't, you didn't have the extra money. You just didn't get it. And they've been used to getting it. Now they won't. What would you say you mentioned the three things, the personality, the consistency and the rapport with the student. What advice would you give one of those old grump tales, as you call them? Uh, if they, if they're hearing this and they think, Oh my goodness, I need to reinvent myself. How do you start over and become a happy person? Well, and I'll tell you what I've told, I've had to talk with some this way. You have to decide you're going to have a good day. I think, I mean, you have to go and decide it's going to be a good day. And I'll say this for so every day has to be new, fresh. And if you've had a bad day with that child today, by the end of the day, even if I had to punish them in some way, I always went to them and talked to them just like nothing had went on to let them know I still loved them. And I think sometimes we, get angry at them and they think we're angry. They won't talk. We won't talk. And then it builds for the next day. So each day I think it's a brand new day. You got to let them. Nothing's wrong. Hey, it's a brand new day. That was yesterday. It's out of the way. But uh, I think one of the things when in the situation or when in the argument may not be in your predetermined manner. I think too many times we think it has to be one the way we win it. And uh, with that, I've got to tell this one. I was a, I was at a little school and we were in lunch and this is how much I changed from when I told you I was yelling at poor old Kevin. I'm going to tell you about Reagan. Reagan was a sixth grade young lady and she uh, was at the cafeteria table. I'm in, I'm doing lunch duty and uh, I'm walking and this is a K-8 school. I'm, I'm walking through and she's sixth grade. She's a big kid and she had had anger issues, never with me, but she had anger issues with other people and they've had to use restraint and some things on her. And I never had to, she, I got along well with her and thought I could de-escalate her. Well, she's sitting at the table. Well, I look over and she's not at the correct table. I have a sign tables and I go over to Reagan and Reagan's sitting at the table and she's got a book and she's reading that book. It's folded in front of her face and she's reading that book. And she had a couple of disabilities, but she's a very intelligent young lady. She's reading that book. And I thought she's not the right table. She's in school suspension table. So I go over and I said, right, honey, you're supposed to be over at that table. Would you please go over there? Because I didn't want her with children. I thought she was in trouble for the day. I didn't want her to be over there with them. And she looks up at me and looks back, buries that face right back in that book. And I just walked, I walked away. I just stepped away. And years ago, Lord help me. And thank the Lord I'm older and wiser. I'd have took her out of that seat. She'd have moved right then when I told her. But anyway, I, I just stepped away. Well, the kids are starting to look. The kid, and I was quiet when I did, but some of the kids, they watch what's going on. Children watch, you know they do. Well, they look over at me. 
And I just walked back in a minute. I gave time. I said, Reagan, honey, will you go over there? And time, will you go over there and sit where you're supposed to? And she looks up at me and bears that face right back in that book. And here's the kids over. Oh, Mr. H ain't going to take that. Oh, gosh, what's he going? And that they are. Oh, God, what is he going to do? Well, I've never done anything negative. I was always keeping my calm. Oh, he ain't going to take that. What's he going to do? And if you, and I'm going to stop right there. If we're not careful as teachers, we'll play and dance for the music that's played for us because we'll perform for those children. They'll make you perform if you're not careful. And other teachers will make you perform because the other teachers will say stuff. Well, is that all you're going to do to them? I wouldn't take that off that child. Now, let me go back. I stepped back and I went to Reagan and said, Reagan, uh, honey, if you want to sit there, you can, but you know that's against the rules. So I may have to put you in ISS tomorrow. And I just stepped away. That's all I said. That's all I did. Well, the next day comes. Why well, I messed up. And I'm going to tell you why I messed up. I guess I'm getting older and I'm getting kinder and I realize everything's not as urgent as we think it is. But so I, I went to her yesterday and I called her in. I called her sped teacher in. And I told, let the SPED teacher in what I was going to do. And the SPED teacher was her favorite teacher. She loved to eat lunch with her. So I said, Reagan, you didn't listen to me yesterday. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to assign you to go down eat lunch with your teacher today. And that was, was a reward. She thought I thought I was punishing her, and that's okay. But why I did that is, uh, and it, it breaks my heart every time I tell the story, but Reagan had a little smile and, and then pulled the smile away and said, yes, sir, I'm sorry. And I said, you don't have to apologize. It's over. I'm not mad at you, but just, she said, yes, sir, I will. So I go in the cafeteria and some of the kids said, she's an ISS, isn't she, Mr. Rose? I said, it's none of your business where she is. But see, they know what's going on. But here's why I didn't punish her any worse than I did. I really didn't punish her. Is I got to thinking, here's Reagan. She's sitting at that table. And the reason why she's sitting at that table, she had one friend in that whole school. He was in ISS that day and she just wanted to sit beside him. And I thought, what if that was my baby girl that was sitting at that table and only one friend, why did it matter? If, and here's what, what was she hurting by sitting in the book? She wasn't even talking. You know, just to, sometimes the best comfort we can have is just to be sitting with someone that we like. Now, the other part of it is uh, I always try to tell this to the teacher part. See, I heard those kids saying, oh, coach ain't going to like this. And see, I thought they were looking at me. Now let's go to Reagan's mind. Reagan thought they were all looking at her. See, when I would say, Reagan, are you going to move? She thought she'd look in that book and say, oh, God, please. In her mind, oh, all those kids are looking at me. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And that's what I mean. If we're not careful, and when I say, and we went and spoke at the National Youth at Risk Conference, the R's, one of them is you got to relate to them. Relate what they feel like at that time. Because when we think they're looking at us, those children think they're all looking at them. And that's what I mean. So I do, I mean, I've come a long way, ladies, trust me. My wife laughs at me when I say that, but I have, but you know, what was the issue with her sitting there eating nothing? At that point, pick my eye. That wasn't a fight I wanted to fight. Because, see, come back, I won and she won. And if we'll let them win, too, we won't win the situation. And I know that's a pretty simple story, but, guys, that plays to what some of the problems are today, you know? You're absolutely right. But uh, little Reagan 
real good kid, real good kid. But you think your child, my child, if that was one friend, what's the issue? And see, we get too many of us, and I'm going to say, though, hardtail. We want it done when we want it done, where we want it done, and how we want it done. Why does it matter as long as it happens for us? It doesn't matter how it happens. They don't have to march like little soldiers. But I know, ladies, y'all see that all the time. And I know, listen, I've got a counselor in my, one of my schools right now, and I tell her she probably needs type of battle pay and war pay because y'all hear as much, and I know you can't tell it, but sometimes you hear as many stories and you think, Lord, the teacher may cause that problem as much as the child did. And so you laugh. I know you can't say that, but I'll say it for you. But guys, that's the profession we're in. It's hard. And I know the teachers are under stress too, but it's over. We fire little stuff sometimes. Yeah. Lack of maturity so many times in the, in the educators. Um, it is. And kids can see through that. And it is so frustrating. Um, but, you know, we always, uh, I talk to them about who's the adult. You know, sometimes we are less of an adult than the child. And I tell them, you know, when, when you have a confrontation or the parent comes in, they always say, well, who's the adult here anyway? Is it you or is it the child? And, you know, I've had some great teachers work for me with doctorate degrees and, and the degrees and teach fourth grade. And they get in such an argument with that fourth grade child and bring them to the office. I think, what are you really winning? You, you with the EDS are going to outmaneuver or outsmart a 10 year old. Is that worth the time you're putting in? And that's, but that's what we do guys. We spent, and you know, one of my first years in administration, I, I, I bought, I bet about 200 sharpened pencils in my desk. And they just in my desk because I would get people bring them up. And this has been years ago. He wasn't prepared for class today. Okay, I've got it. What happened? He did pencil class. And I said, I got you. Send a teacher on back. I'd pull a tent pencil out of my desk and give that child a pencil going back to class. And I know that sounds silly, but y'all have probably seen the same thing. Give them paper, give them pencil. That's worth everything to me. Don't, don't create problems where you don't have them. And, and I know there are are problems in schools and the children face them. We just don't need to add on is one of the bigger things I teach. You're so right. And I say all the time about <clears throat> not being prepared for class or not having their homework. We don't give a grade for surviving the night. And that's what our students do a lot of times. And in the weight of the, what's more important, bringing your homework to class or surviving exactly whatever right. they've encountered at home. But I think that sometimes we just get stuck in our, in the traditional ways. And we, we see, we think things are supposed to be the way that they are at the, in the fifties and, and stuff like that. I had a teacher one time ask a family in crisis. She said, what do y'all talk about when you sit down at the dinner table together? And I just thought they don't, that's not their world anymore. And when we try to put them in that box, that's where the majority of our problems come from because it's a different time. Well, you know, uh, I think that's a perfect uh, thing you're telling them. Uh, they don't sit at the dinner table. My wife does a wonderful job. She makes us at least four or five days a week. You're going to sit down and eat. She drags, we've got three children, drags us together to make us sit down and eat just 
and, and that's forced. And if she didn't force us, we'd be going all different ways too. Well, and I'll say the other thing, and, and I know I want academics as much as anybody, but I, I tell this to all my teachers, I'm not a big proponent of homework, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not fair because those kids go home, and here they are. Now, I, I tell them I don't want – this is what I tell them. I, can't, I don't want more than 30 minutes homework, cumulative. I didn't mean in one class, cumulative. And I said, I'm going to use math. If they can do three long division problems, they can do 70 long division problems, do the three. And you just said it. How important is that math when I don't have anything to eat that night? Or my dad's fighting with my mom. That's not the most important thing. And most of them, and this is hard for a lot of teachers to believe, they do homework to reward us sometimes, unless they're very driven. They get our approval by completing their homework. And it's not worth it. I mean, it's not worth the fight like you're talking about. And that's an easy force. But I think there's so many, and I've learned so much over the years, just how to handle people and how to talk to people. But my goodness, we miss that part sometimes in education. And I'm a teacher proponent, don't get me wrong, because we can do so many great things and we change kids' lives. But sometimes if we do one or two bad things, Lord, that overshadows some of the good things we do too, you know. But don't think I'm, I'm not fussing teachers, but I'm, I'm telling funny stuff I've done, not anybody else. Well, it, it, and it, 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 you're right. I mean, you have that small number of, of educators. It's not, but, but that small number can, can really give education a bad name. And it does need to be a college course taught because when I was hearing you speak, I was thinking about how really, um, how can we make education more equitable? Because it, it's really a child's not, it's not their fault that they don't have a parent who helps them with homework. And, and so we're really not making it equitable when we, you know, do projects and things that one student has all of this support and help and then another student has none. Um, and, I, and I think those numbers are only rising. Um, like I said before, I, 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 Laura knows this. I spoke at a church about they wanted me to speak on poverty because they were going to take up food. And I asked the women, this is Southern, you know, women, and, and they were all my age and older. And I said, so who, who in here grew up poor? Everyone raised their hand. I said, were you dressed nicely? Yes, we were dressed nicely. Were you, uh, you know, did you have parents that loved you? Yes, you had parents that loved you. Did you have a garden? Did you do your food? Yes, I said, so you're thinking of poverty the way it used to be when you yes. were. I said, I don't, I'm not talking about, I said, what you want me to talk about is brokenness. I said, you're wanting to gather your vegetables and expect my kids to go home and their parents fix those vegetables. I said, I need a Pop-Tart that they can open and fix it themselves. And I think it was a mind-blowing experience for a lot of these folks, like I said, that are my age and older. They did not realize, thank heavens, Matt, a principal was in that meeting, this <laughs> meeting, that she could back me up and she said, you have no idea. You have no idea what we're dealing with now. So I think when we talk, like you were saying, the poverty of our day, it, it, it was, it, it's a whole lot different than, than a lot of what I call, I don't call it poverty. I call it brokenness. You know, as you all know, uh, I think that when someone feels defeated or that child feels defeated is one of the worst things when they think there's no hope. Yes. 
that no hope. And, and I'll use this, you know, from teachers that want to give a zero with the semester break. Well, that's what they are three or whatever it is. Well, that's what they've earned. But I said, tell me what their second semester is going to be like when they come in and they have no hope of passing. Why would they even work? They're going to quit. They're not going to try. And that's what I mean. I think that's some of the, that, as she said, brokenness is one of the worst things you can see today. It is. This is so, so good. Um, now, you do the certified um, restraint and de-escalation training. I do. Yes, ma'am. We, we were sitting, I have to tell you our happy accident and how we found you. Uh, we were sitting in a session at our state education conference last year and the speaker before you on our agenda it said she was going to be the next speaker and she was talking about a topic that we were uh, some law that we were interested in so we had our stuff in there we had left for just a minute and we were coming back in and then in your session and we looked at each other and we're like this is the wrong room we're in the wrong room so we're gathering our stuff up as best as we can but you know we had tons of bags so we weren't very quiet but we were gathering our stuff up we're sneaking out, Matt. <laughs> We're going to sneak out. And then you said something. We realized it really wasn't restraint training. It was more de-escalation. And you were talking our language. We looked at each other and simultaneously dropped our bags and got settled because you, you got us from the start. We automatically started picturing students at our school and we thought this is needed we need to hear this well and, and you know just like you said i thought you was going to say it's like church you got caught in church and couldn't get out because you were up front or something okay in my <laughs> session but anyway but i do and i mean I, and ladies it's so it's so common sense to you but it's not to everyone else and you know just a few things i always tell them that makes them feel better you feel better about your own self and then the child or the student or whoever it is is uh use a good calm voice with them you know you know sometimes we yell and we get louder and louder and what that does generally is cause them to yell louder and louder right that's so easy if you if you remain non-aggressive or I, I remain a calm voice it'll calm them so much and i don't look like i'm trying to assert myself over them or over the situation uh, we try to stay at a good calm eye level with them. And these are just basics you all know, but we get a good eye level. I just don't want to domineer over them and, and point down on them. You know, I can, I can be across the room. They may be sitting and me standing, but as long as I'm not domineering over, I'm at a good eye level with them. That's, that's something easy. I know, uh, I know y'all see, I talk to my hands all the time, but, uh, I have my hands good and open. And I know this is, uh, in theory, they said the Native Americans would raise their hand, open it, uh, sh to show they had nothing in their weapon hand. I mean, you know, ill will knights would tip their visor same way with their dominant hand, weapon hand. And that's little stuff, you know, that shows a child or shows someone, you know, I'm aggressive, I mean. But it's easy stuff you guys know. And I'll tell you, one of the ones we don't do often enough, and I used to have a rough time, is we don't let them be heard. And, you know, I know you two have, but it amazed me some years that parents would come in. Can I talk to you about my child? 
and they never really addressed their child. They started talking about issues they would have at home and get up and say, Mr. George, thank you. You have helped me so much. And the only thing I did was listen. Now, and here's where I really think we have a rough time. We're so ingrained. In, let's get right back to work and get our lessons done. That little seven-year-old, that 13-year-old, they probably don't have anybody listening to them. And if you'll take 20 minutes to listen to them, you'll learn what they really live through. And ladies, you'll probably have done this, but uh, I did, I was a supervisor of uh, attendance for a while. And, and what opened my life, eyes is I had to do some home visits. And you go to some homes and see where kids live. And you think, I, I don't know if I could get up and come to work every day if I lived in that. And we're asking them to come and excel in school to make us look better. It helps them, but it makes us look better when they excel. And that, that's easy stuff. Uh, I think what we did one year, and I'm telling you, I'm sorry, I'm, but uh, we had a director of schools one year for our in-service day. He loaded us all on a bus, and he took us on buses as faculty and drove us by some of the homes and neighborhoods that these kids worked in and the factories their parents worked in. He said, so when you get angry and you assign them more work than you need, they're working for 10 hours in that shop with no air conditioning, and they come home to hear their child cry because they're doing lessons that you assign. And that's simple stuff that we forget to tell our faculty and that I guess we're we're, we're spoiled to a degree if we're not careful. We live in a different world than a lot of these kids live in. And even I'm going to say during this time, we still have jobs during this COVID crisis. There's a lot of them ain't going to have jobs. I know we've repeated this again, but uh, that's what we're going to face. And that's the scariest thing coming back from this uh, is handling this. We're going to have to be understanding of them the best we can. And the parents, Matt, when I, when you were talking about the de-escalation, some of the hardest situations I've been up against is, and I've seen is, is being in meetings with parents and uh, just remaining calm. And, and I can I think there's a lot, I, I'm seeing my, my son works at a bank and I've, I've heard him tell some stories and I said, Spencer, you're going to have to remember people <clears throat> are angrier and stressed. I said, it's probably nothing to do with what they're saying it's to do about, but it's probably, and I think we're just going to see more of that with our kids and our parents. You know, and I'm going to use parents, uh, even with what we're talking about, how to treat them and how it's changed. I've sit in IEP meetings and you, ladies, I know you have too. I used to go in and I'm going to tell off on myself years ago, I was the LEA representative. I've signed more papers, didn't have a clue what I was signing. I'd sign them and I was gone. Well, I started going to IEP meetings, and, and one of the, gosh, this has probably been eight or nine years ago, I had a parent come in. I had nothing to do with them. I was the LEA rep that day, and they were so angry, and they were at the point of getting legal counsel. They were that angry, and I went in, and part of what I go teach, I say, let's ask the parents what they want, and I pulled a piece of paper, and they were mad. Oh, I mean, there was a lot of uh, tense there was a lot of friction there. So I pulled a piece of paper over and I listed one, two, three. And I said, tell me what's your child, three things that makes your child feel stressed. What are they? And they said, what do you mean? I said, what can you tell me makes them feel stressed? And they're looking like this is trick. I said, I want to help. So tell me, well, they listed me three. And I said, now you tell me three things we can do to take that stress away. What do you want us to try to do? 
And all of a sudden we were asking their advice instead of talking at them. And they realized we're trying to help them. And you know, I thought of that. If it was my child, I wouldn't want to be talked at. And if they asked me, Matt, what do you want us to do? That takes a little of the venom out of them. And you know, just that simple stuff we all can do. And that's what I try to go teach. You know, we're in a service industry. Now we are, we're in a service industry, but too many times we, and I'm going to use me in my past, you know, you're supposed to come here and be grateful. I'm teaching your child instead of we're here to serve your child. And if you'll do that, you know, you get more, flies with honey than you can vinegar. And if you go in and ask parents, what do you want us to try to help them do? Again, that'll go a long way. I know y'all know that ladies, but there's still a lot of people out there of all ages in our profession that don't know that, you know, they get angry, they take it personal and you can't take these things personal. The things that we get mad about and we take personal again, I'll go back to the fight. Why would you get mad over that? You know, I, now I go all the way back to Kevin and I talked about, why would I get mad if he didn't do those three or four math problems? And I had to learn that hard way. It took me four years of my career before that epiphany hit. But, you know, next day's coming. You're going to get up, the sun's shining. We're going to start a new day again. It's a, and it's easy. It is. It's harder for some to change is what it is. That's the hardest thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard to, hard to change and hard to, when you were talking, Matt, I know you'll appreciate this being from Tennessee. I thought of my pastor. He always says a bulldog can whoop a skunk, but is it worth the stink? That's right. Oh, uh, that's just good. To, and I, I try to live by that, you know, just don't get on that level. And, and usually it's not about us. It's usually about what's going on in their lives. And, and sometimes just saying, now, really, what's this about? And and they can, like you said, listen, and they'll tell us really what it's about. And, you know, there's many times you'd like to give them some of that. You know, we we were up at, a, again, I think this was over, I don't know if this is the year before or not, the uh, National Youth at Risk. And I had a guy from Chicago come in and listen to my session. And he had been a gang member, had written a book, million, had sold a million copies silk suit boy i mean he i guess made a good fortune and he came in watching me and i'm gonna say this you'll get kids transfer all over and sometimes we don't know who or what they're about or what they're like but i'm going to use this he came in watch me and i come off one of the southern sayings you just and i said listen for a kid from tennessee and we were taught you're very humble you, when i growing up you were taught be humble you're not outspoken you're not and that's how we were taught for a kid that couldn't have said Suey if the sows was after him. Now I get to go across the nation and, and talk. And that's unbelievable. So anyway, this guy comes up to me and he said, you do this all the time. I said, well, yeah, I do it a lot. He goes, can I ask you a question? This is the guy, the million copy seller. What's a Suey and what's a sow? Had not a clue what I was talking about. Well, I almost got tickled and he was looking, if you could have seen how deep in my eyes he was looking, he had not a clue. And he was someone that wanted to stay educated. And I thought at that point, it's, it's where you're from and how you've been raised. And people think that just because I don't know something, I'm not smart. That's not true. It depends where you are and from what you've been raised. We're all smart in some way. 
But that guy, and I, and I tried to describe to him, uh, I've got to tell this, and, and that we're down there at the same session, and we were talking about not turning her back on an angry person. What we went into that, and uh, the whole group. Now, this is a lot of Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee people down there, mind you. And I said, if you turn your back, they'll be on you like a duck on a June bug. <laughs> and every, you know, people's looking, and you know, they understand. And I had one guy, that hand goes up. And I said, yes, sir. What's that? What's the question? He goes, why would a duck be on a June bug? <laughs> Everyone in that room just died laughing at him. And he was from Cincinnati. He had not a clue. Never seen that duck grab one and shake it and throw it on the ground and, to eat it. But that I go back. He was an educated man. But yeah. w when you get that transfer kid in, too often we can label that transfer kid. They're not very smart, but depending on where they're from and what they've been exposed to, they're intelligent. So I always tell my faculty, try not to label those kids or people before you get to know. Absolutely. And a lot of our transfer kids, Matt, it, where we're from in this rural part of Alabama, a lot of our transfer kids, we just say, here comes trouble a lot of times. But when we realize their culture they're coming from and, and maybe they were in an inner city school or maybe, you know, and, and we get to know, or, or as counselors, we get to know and we understand why they behave the way they, until they acclimate or, you know, to, to the, you don't have to fight everybody or you don't, you know, so that a lot of, a lot of what you're saying has a lot of truth to it because every, wherever you're from, that's your culture and you're, and, and you know, what you said, Laura says all the time, everybody is intelligent in in some area well i mean you know you go even to the ruby Payne books and all we couldn't begin to think about picking up and moving in four hours and getting everything packed up and gone they can move just in with a couple hours we would look at each other and think how could we do that they know what's about they know where to get food they know where to get stuff when they have no money you know and they're intelligent we have not a clue how to survive like that and you know again i think that's right it depends where you are and and i go back and i i get so tickled here and i thank the lord you guys for southern and you have this share the same we you said the bulldog and the skunk are what i used to tell my teachers coaches really because i could get some coaches get yourself in trouble i said listen it's a lot easier i said to to be good because i said once that cow uses the bathroom it's harder to get the manure back in the cow than you think <laughs> you can't put that mess back in once it comes out so don't start the problems just like you said the bulldog and the skunk hey it's not worth the fight sometimes absolutely it's it's okay as you mature we learn that we sometimes can uh we can uh i i, I want to use the word submissive not in a bad way but Correct. in a bad way just just even to a child sometimes we oh, need yeah. to be submissive and think what are you going through and what, how can, how can we do different with this Reagan? How can we think differently with this Reagan? I've learned, I, I always hearing you inspires me. It inspires oh. me. Uh, how can schools get you to come and talk to them? I mean, I've got a website, certified restraint training. And like I said, I stay last year, I, I went about a hundred, I think 101 days I went and my board of education is wonderful. They let me go as I need to. And uh, I went about 101 days to speak. And I'll do, sometimes I'll do PD day 
Sometimes I'll do uh, restraint training, but as you can tell, my restraint training is we don't want to restrain. Let's help learn not to. But if you have to, and I'll tell you how I started years ago, and I've got a martial arts background, I've college athletics, everything. How I started years ago, I went in. Now this is after I had learned there's a better way. I went in and watched the uh, district I was in having a PD day on restraint training, and God, they were doing stuff that they can't physically do to children and putting the teachers at jeopardy by asking them to. And I just started writing my own. I love kinesiology and, and uh, fitness and all. I started writing my own. And we've done this probably now about 12 years. And I'm going to knock on something. We, we've kept people out of trouble. We've not had to go to court. We, but most of ours is so proactive. Probably what you counselors have preached from the, your beginning of time, you know, pick and choose your battle. Don't do things that's going to get you in trouble. And, you know, can that child yours, how would you act? But, you know, they could contact us through website, you know, my cell phones on their emails, everything like that. But like I said, for a kid, you know, we stay pretty busy. And I guess this past, next year I'm going to retire. And after this, I don't know how many days I'll be gone, probably more than a hundred. But for a kid, like I said, from middle Tennessee, that's start this year, I'm going from New Hampshire down to Mobile, Alabama. That's a wide range for a kid that grew up and never been out of the state of Tennessee growing up in his life. But, hey, I'm a, as thankful uh, and fortunate man as there is out there. And, and, I, and I'll tell you what, why I like to do this. It's so inspiring to me to talk to ladies just like you. And no matter where I go, the hardest thing people don't believe, they think in their own little world, nobody has it this way. It's the same way all over whether I teach inner city, whether I teach rural country, those kids want somebody to care about them. And that's unbelievable. They think, oh, it's only here. See, you guys think this, Lord, how'd they find our town? How did they move in and find us? Well, every county's got that same thing we worry about and think how'd they find us? And we all laugh about it, but that's true. Everybody has this, we have the same fights across the nation, we do. Or the same, I won't say fight, same struggles that we have to face. And y'all know this, it's really the same answer. You know, that child's been ignored. They don't believe in anybody. They, and, and you just have to make them a believer in you. And that's, I think that's what we teach. And I think we do a pretty good job of it, but you know, I, I had to learn that over time guys. Can you just talk to him all day, Kim? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We don't have all day. We could, we could, and we're so honored to have you. You're, you just keep up the good work and, and, and this ministry that you're doing for other people. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is, it, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing because we've heard it and we know how it inspired us and you're out there protecting educators. Cause that's, that's how you started the session with this us. Is right is I'm here to take care of you. Don't get yourself in trouble. And that's, you know, it's, it's, you're doing it for the children and for the educators. So thank you so much. Thank y'all guys. I'm hey, honored to be with you. Watch some of your podcasts. Y'all do a great job and you all keep helping. You're helping everybody by listening to you and uh, providing this first, but thank you very much. Thank you. Mate. Thank you.